It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash on cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Emma Powell. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Emma, she is the owner-operator of High Rise Group, along with her husband of 25, 25 years, Troy Powell. And within the first 18 months of the real estate investing journey, they already had 92 units in total. Wow, that's amazing. Together, they have experience partnering with a variety uh, of deals as a lender, deal sponsor, co-owner, syndicator, and property manager. Emma, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We have uh, we talked beforehand for a little while. It's like it's kind of funny how many similarities we have in our backgrounds and our goals. So it absolutely is. And you know, I got to be honest with you. I was excited before we had that conversation to have you on the show, but now I'm even more excited. You know, because we really did have a lot in common, and uh, I love that, of course. But you know, to kick this thing off, Emma, we'd like to hear uh, you know about you, your story. So let's just start there. Tell us more about your background, your story, and really the path you took to get to where you are today in your real estate investing career? Yeah, I'm definitely a late bloomer. I'm 45. We started about four years ago. My husband's 47. And I have like on my little vision board here, like replaced his income by age 50. So I mean, we're, we're on the path of the of the late bloomers. And I always say, would you we're going to be 50. Anyway, we might as well be 50 and financially free than <laughs> sit around at age 40 and be like, Oh, we missed the boat. So late bloomers. Um, I always have like an interest in a, in a and a background and, and a goal to do passive income. You know, as a kid, I used to make things like, oh, we're going to put a million dollars and live off of the, live off the dividends and these kinds of comments. And, and I remember when I was about 10, I asked my, my mom, maybe even younger, um, we didn't talk to her parents much. We were a little bit, you know, we were in Seattle and they were Portland, I guess three hours was too much to get together, but that's a different story. Um, and I was always worried about them when they retired. I didn't know how retired people lived or how they made money. I said, well, how do, I mean, they're retired. How do they live? And she said, well, he has a pension, he has career Air Force, and he also made a million dollars in the stock market. So they just live off that. And I remember as a little kid, as a 10 year old being like, wait, what? Like, that's a, what, what is that? I was so excited. Even as uh, my, my youngest is 10 now. And I, she seems like such a baby to me. And I remember just feeling like that is the way get a million dollars and just live off the dividends. So I used to say that all the time in college, they'd ask me like, well, a job interview, why do you want to work here? I said, Oh, well, it's, it's a, it's a good source of income so that I can invest and have residual income. And it's saying these kinds of things for years. I always thought I'll get a rental house. Just never did it. Just kept having kids and and started starting these little cottage businesses. And, and I never took the money that I made from my 
my mom businesses, you know, my mom photographer, <laughs> you know, and, and buying rentals with that. I just was spending it on piano lessons and, and, you know, driving from Texas to Idaho to go see grandparents. And, and I, it just was missing the boat and I don't feel like I had a mentor. I didn't have the information, but then I look back and I remember that we had a neighbor a little bit around the corner from us in our same neighborhood and our kids would play together as friends with his wife. And he built and developed self-storage units, like beautiful climate controlled, um, all around Austin. And he was trying to teach us how to do this. And I just look back on that, like what a wasted opportunity. And, and I'm a late bloomer, but yet at the same time, I, I just, I just was not catching the vision. And so I think that, that finally developing the mindset of I'm going to be an investor. I am going to buy apartments. I am going to be a landlord. I am going to take all the money I make and invest it and then live off of the dividends and finally getting to the point where I changed my mindset. I wouldn't have wasted all those opportunities back then. I would have been a lot farther on. So to say like, I didn't have the information or I didn't have, I, or the mentors I did, I really did. And I just didn't know it. Um, I, I was trying to do the Dave Ramsey way of paying ca- paying our house off and then saving up and paying cash for a rental house. Uh, okay, the first first one or two, that's going to take forever, right? But then the snowball will pick up and it'll go faster. Well, you know what? Like 10 or 15 years into Dave Ramsey land, we still didn't even have our mortgage paid off. It just, it just, we were sacrificing our lives so much to save up, to do all these things that we couldn't take our kids on vacations. We couldn't do fun stuff. And I was just so sick of, everything in the future and nothing ever now. And so when we, when I hit 40, I think I just got to the point where I was like, I, you, we got to do something now because I can't keep putting this off, putting this off, putting this off, putting this off. So that's kind of where that came from. But the real impetus was when my husband got laid off in Austin and he got a referral letter, uh, like a, what do you call it? Like a recommendation letter from somebody who worked with, and she was talking about how great he was and everything. And then she puts in there that he's the sole provider of six children. And First of all, I was like, I actually have a business, you know, but it was, I couldn't even pay the bills. It was like, almost didn't even count. And then, um, and then my second thought was, why would, why did I do that to him? Why can't I support this family if he's doing a layoff? Like we were talking about before, if you're in tech or oil and gas, it's, it's like a matter of when are you getting laid off and are you prepared? We were prepared like from the emergency fund and some things like that. And, and I had this little side hustle. So it, would, it was terrifying the day that he got laid off. It was, a, it was a disaster. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to let this happen again. I can never put him in this position where somebody's going to say that. Why would I make him the sole provider of, for six children, like eggs in one basket? Stupid. So we moved across country very quick. In a month, we were gone. He had a new job offer. And we thought we we're going to be great. And I thought I can keep doing the same thing and just restart my photography business and not make any money and, and keep depending on his W-2 income to support us uh, for our lifestyle. Or I can take this opportunity of moving across the country and, and really do something dramatic and drastic. So I didn't know what it was. I just started attending tons of networking meetings. And I thought maybe I would start some sort of a business consulting firm, like, because my degree is in entrepreneurial small business management. And I, okay, massage therapists and insurance salesmen, they don't know how to do their books. They don't know how to do their social media. And as a photographer, I would help like the wedding venue owners and, and people like that and other photographers with their marketing and their SEO and getting their social media. 
up and running. And I thought I can, I can do that. I can, I can basically teach people how to run a small business so that they can focus on being good massage therapists or whatever. And I can help them. So I went with that intention and ended up at some real estate, you know, those really spammy ones that (laughs) are trying to sell you some books or everybody come to the back of the room. I ended up with some of those on accident. Um, but I also know some of them that weren't bad. Um, I still don't want to buy what they were selling, but they weren't as spammy. And I started thinking like, why don't I just do this? And I was a little scared. I felt like it was a huge step, but I felt like once I started it, I needed to be really ready to hit it, like downshift and just go for it. And I was looking to do something more part-time. Um, so I, I got home after one of these spammy meetings and I just Googled them and I came across bigger pockets and started reading all the threads and they were talking about why would you buy that or, or do that club or group or whatever, spend all that money when you can join your local RIA for 150 bucks a year. And I was like, sign me up. So I went to the (laughs) RIA, I joined like three or four of them in the area. And I started going to all the meetings and it was almost immediate. Like, look at all these people doing this. And suddenly you have the mentors, suddenly you have the mindset, suddenly you have the information that you need and, and, and patterns to follow. And I very, very quickly from that point, remembered all of that stuff from my past, wanting passive income, residual income. And we had just sold a remodeled house in Texas and we were renting. So we literally had no debt. And I think it was like a quarter million, almost three hundred grand in cash and trying to figure out what, what to do with it. And I told my husband, and I, I got a little like pushy when I, cause I think I was trying to convince myself, right. I gave him, I think 60 grand to put a down payment on our new house, the one we were buying. And I said, that'll keep the mortgage at about the level that you're comfortable paying out of your um, W2 and the rest of this 250 or whatever it was, two plus 200 plus, I'm going to go start a real estate business with this. And I, and the reason I got pushy is like, I made this money in real estate and I'm going to take it and I'm going to go do a real estate business. And I was trying to convince myself more than, more than him that I deserved this cash. And from that moment on in his mind, that 200 or 250 was monopoly money. And he didn't care what happened to it at that point, because he had a house, he had a W2, he was doing his thing. And he says, as long as your business activities don't put our personal finances at risk, you keep it separated asset protection, privacy, LLC structures legally. And from an accounting standpoint, the IRS is, and the SEC are, can be nasty. So he said, I don't want you to put us at risk, but as long as you have good walls of separation, um, go off and play Monopoly with it. And so that's really how we've been able to coexist in this business. Um, he was a little frustrated for a while because my books were not clean. I'm not a detail-oriented kind of person. Uh, even though I've taken plenty of accounting classes and I've done my own accounting for years and years, um, this was just a, a way more than I'd ever done. And so I, I hired a bookkeeper to give me lessons and teach me how to do it. Paid, paid her maybe like a thousand bucks. And we met every couple months for a few hours each time until I felt like my books were under control. And then he right. felt a lot more comfortable and he's been extremely supportive. Um, the first time I lost money on a deal, I was really embarrassed. I think I lost like five grand in earnest money on a, on a house that I got a little too excited about and ended up not being a good deal. So I backed out and, um, I didn't want to tell him about it. And so when I finally did call him up, uh, I said, I'm really embarrassed. And I didn't want to tell you, I just, you know, I wanted to keep it inside my own business and deal with it myself, but it almost feels like financial infidelity to not open up about this and tell you what's going on. And, and he just very calmly, he said, I know you'll make it back. And whenever I tell that story, the reaction is always like, what? (laughs) That is not what my husband or my wife would have said. But the reason he said that is because we had a really good separation between the the personal finances and the business finances. And he felt much safer 
And like I said, he just was like pushing me to achieve more and to, to take bigger risks and to really just go out there and see what I could do because he didn't feel threatened by it at all. Um, from a macho point, like if my wife makes more money than me, he was like, sugar mama, he didn't care. Right. <laughs> We'd already worked through some of those issues in, in, in the past when I was working. Um, and he preferred me, you know, he's like, oh, stay at home mom. And so I was kind of a stay at home mom, but didn't really. And so we did have some of those issues we worked out years ago. But by the time I started this real estate business, that was in our past. And he was like, go for it, babe. So it actually ended up being a really great thing. And now with his IT background, he's very uh, much operationally oriented. It's been trained into him. So he's actually helped me out a lot with my business organization and making sure that that, that the details are attended to. Um, both for his own security and just because I can't do it all by myself. So he, he kind of helps me out here and there. And it's, it's really been useful uh, having his perspective on it. Well, I think that's super important, right? Even though there might've been some challenges up front for the first couple of years or whatever, when you're getting into it or whatever, but you know, you have that support now and he, he knows you guys kind of have this division of labor or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think that's, that's super important, any partnership, but if you're married and you're trying to do something maybe separate or together, it's, it's really mm-hmm. important that you guys are on the same page. So I think that's, that's awesome that you guys had that. And, and I do want to dive into something that we kind of mentioned in your bio, you know, you said mm-hmm. kind of did nine ninety two units pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Talk about that. You took that money. You started getting real estate investing. Tell us how you got to 92 units. Um, well, I'll give you kind of a, a little bit of a background there for how we got that dry powder, that pile of cash to be able mm-hmm. to go and, and make take a big bite out of it. Because a lot of people are starting with no cash and they're like, oh, well, she started with, you know, a quarter million bucks. I didn't start with a quarter million bucks. You know, it took me a lot of years to get yeah. to that point. So we bought our, when we bought our first house in like 1998, we um, used a county grant for our down payment assistance because we didn't have any money. Sure. So they basically, I don't know, they gave us like five grand or whatever it was back then during the you know zero down craze. Right. Um, and so we bought this little house um, for whatever they gave us. It was basically free at that point. We lived it for five years. We made about $35,000 off of that one when we sold it. That was cash in our pockets after mm-hmm. all commissions and everything were paid. And we went and bought our second house in 2004. And, uh, you know, it happened in 2008. So we stayed in that one until 2011. And we didn't make any money off of that. It was kind of funny. Once we sold it and all the commissions were paid, we walked away with $35,000. It was like the exact from our, from our first house, but I guess we lived there nine years for, you know, for free in in a sense. Right. So um, we wanted a change of lifestyle. We finally had come to terms with the fact that we were going to stay in Texas forever, forever home. And let's go buy our homestead, our little ranch. And so we bought some acreage um, just South of Austin and Kyle. And um, there was a crap house on it and we're pretty handy. So my husband's like, we're going to remodel this thing. So we blew off three walls and completely redid it. Um, different floor plans, like completely different house. And we thought we would live in it forever. And I had all my goats and my chickens and doing my thing. And, and then when he lost his job, um, I didn't want a rental house in Texas. And I knew there was a lot of equity in there. Um, and part of that money that we got out of there, it wasn't all appreciation from the sale. A lot of it, we put a lot of cash into it when we remodeled it. So while we were living in a house where we didn't make any money, um, I was working part-time and he was working full-time and part-time because his full-time job was sweet where he only had to work like maybe five, sure, 10 hours sure. a week. He was on call from nine to five. It was nice. a cherry job. So he went back to school, got a bachelor's degree and then got a part-time job at his new career field. So during that couple of years, we set aside about a hundred grand and that was, and then we got about another 50 scraped up while we were doing the remodel. It took us about two years. So we had about 150 into that of our cash. Um, did a refinance on it, pulled some cash out, 
paid, you know, paid cash for some cars. So low, low mortgage payment. We thought we were doing really, really well. Right. And then when we sold that house, um, that was where we got our 150 back out another hundred grand on top of that. We converted our IRA to self-directed. So that gave us another hundred grand to work with. And then um, when we moved to Utah, uh, we started doing some kooky stuff. Like instead of getting a mortgage on our house, we just got a, a HELOC only. And so that 60 grand down payment was just because we we're getting like a 90, 90, 10 sure. lock on it. Sure. Um, and so we basically said, we're going to rent our house from the bank. And so it was just interest only payment. We never paid down the, never paid it down. And, and if we had put money in it, we would have just pulled it right back out to go do rentals or whatever. So it's just a way of keeping our mortgage payment really, really low and renting it from the bank really essentially long-term. We had a 10 year term on that HELOC. We got life insurance policies on both of us and start throwing large amounts of cash in there. It's kind of a be your own bank. If, you, right. if you're familiar with that. Um, so we got policies on both of us and just started doing some, some crazy stuff like that. And I loaned out most of this cash to um, a local house flipper, bought a house with him. And he was a good mentor for me. But I think what I learned most from him is I didn't want to be a house flipper. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's more important than learning what yep. you do want to do, right? So when that money started coming back, he gave me, he told me to buy a house. He's like, I'll send you back 60 grand to go make a down payment. He goes, find a house, tell me how much money you need and I'll send it back. And then a couple months later, I was like, Hey, I want to do a flip because I need more money. I realized I'm not going to retire on a quarter million bucks. Right. So I need a million and I got to go build that as quick as I can. And so I'm going to do some active investing for a few years until I can build up that pile of cash. And so I went out and I just, I had this contractor who wouldn't leave me alone. Right. <laughs> he was like, call, are we going to flip? We're going to flip. So he would drive me all over Salt Lake and we'd look at wholesale houses. And so um, I did two flips with him that I ended up keeping as rentals. So that was, a, uh, and then I bought a house, a distressed house from a, a close, um, a close friend whose house was in default. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, I think I know how to do this. Like, like, can I buy your house? Like this could help you out. Right. And she was like, I know it sounds kind of risky. And I said, no, no, I know people now. And I think I can figure out how to do this. So I called up a bunch of people, asked people at the RIA, like, if this, you were in this situation, what would you do? And so they gave me a couple options. I presented them all the options and they went with um, letting me take over the mortgage, uh, basically reinstate it, take over. And then we sold it on a lease option. I still have that house. Wow. Um, and boy, has it gone up in value lately. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first three units. Well, one was a duplex. So I guess that counts as, as four, right? And then I bought a triplex. So then we were up to seven. And then I bought a 50 unit and that wow. was just because I was hanging out with people at the Ria who said they bought multifamily. Like he was like, why, yeah, why is he buying it? And I'm not buying it. And they're no smarter than we are. They don't have better networks than we do. And sometimes they do, they've been doing it longer. Right. But when you, it's like my grandpa, when I was 10, he made a million bucks in the stock market. He lives off his dividends. Like, you know, when you identify with people and you see them doing it, it doesn't seem that hard. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And so I found this 50 unit and I was like, you know, I'll, I'll look at it. Right. I didn't know if I could buy it. I hoped I could, but I underwrote it. And that was free. And I talked to partners and that was free. And, and it didn't actually cost me money until I started to have put earnest money in. And by then I had a partner and I had a plan. Um, and so we bought that 50 units. And then right after that, we closed, it took us a long time to close that because we didn't know what we were doing. We had a patient, a very patient seller. He didn't seem patient at the time because he's like always griping at us to get this thing closed. But looking back on it, yeah, he was, <laughs> he was pretty patient. And then um, I bought 34 units in Little Rock from a wholesaler. So we closed on the 50 unit in March of 2020. And then we closed on the 34 units. It was two buildings um, in Little Rock in June of 2020, I want to say. 
And then the next deal I did was later in 2020, like in December of 2020, we bought some warehouses in downtown Salt Lake. We tore them down and we're building a high rise, like wow. 150 units. And we ended up, we sold that one a couple months ago to our general contractor. So we just did the demo and permits and design and architecture and all that, um, a partnership that I put together. And then our general contractor ended up buying it from us. So he's going vertical with it right now. So that was kind of the first, that was 2020. And then in 2021, I uh, wasn't good. Like <laughs> it, right. it definitely was 2020 was a good year for me. 2021 was really, really hard. You know, we had a huge loss. I was trying to buy a 225 unit in Amarillo for my partner, uh, my Idaho partner that he owned. He was a GP on that deal. And um, we just couldn't, we just bit off more than we chew. We choked on it. And I lost, I don't know, tens of thousands of dollars, almost a hundred grand on lawyer fees, due diligence costs, inspections, all of that, because you don't get that back if you don't close right. it. And if I had to look back and be like, why couldn't we close that deal? It's because we were trying too hard to have a small GP because everybody's like, oh, they had like eight people in that GP or they had 10 people in that GP. I was like, no, we're, we got this. We got it with five of us. We're going to make this work. And Fannie Mae was cracking down on, you can't have a loan if you got more than five people. And so we kept it small, but you know, when it became apparent that we weren't going to get this five or $6 million raised with just the group of us, we should have been willing to say like, it could be a hundred people in this GP if we can structure it correctly or close this deal. But we, um, we just got too, too much tunnel vision that we couldn't have a big GP. And so we just let it go and we lost all that money. So what ended up coming out of that, which is really good was um, I had to really do some digging and look at myself, look at my career, look at where I was, what I was doing. Do I really want to be an asset manager or lead sponsor on 25 units for the next five years in Texas? I live in Utah. Like, I just like, you know what? Actually, no, I don't think I want to build a giant syndication business. By that time, I had around a million dollars in equity between my various projects. I was like, why don't you just take this equity and convert it? That was the original goal. We'll see get a hundred, you know, get a million dollars in equity and invest it and spin off, you know, roughly 120K a year in cash flow. That was the original goal. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to start converting this equity into cash flow by selling projects, refinancing, whatever, and then taking that and passively investing in other people's deals so that I can have this base of cash flow. And then once your job optional, W2 or whatever, you have your base of cash flow, then you can go off and do some more crazy stuff. It's the same separation like what my husband and I had, where this is personal, this is business, let's keep it separated and, and go crazy. It's just like that. When you get your base level of cash flow covered and you're finan you have financial freedom, then you can go do some crazy stuff, take some big risks and have some big dreams and build some cool stuff. So my retirement's going to look more like that, right? But Anyway, so, um, and then I, I was um, attracting people into my network uh, who wanted to be co-GPs. They wanted to do a deal and they'd be like, I have 50 grand or I have hundred grand. I'm like, that's limited partner land. Like you can't co-GP on a large commercial deal for hundred grand. I mean, people won't even have a conversation until you're three, 500 grand in. I didn't know that many people with 500 grand wanted to put it in a single deal. I knew people with 500 grand or a million bucks in cash, but that'd be crazy to put it in one deal, especially if they didn't know what they're doing yet. Mm. So um, I was complaining about it one day to my securities attorney. Um, we had bought um, a 26 unit building in 2021. I think that might've been the only deal I did that year other than the one that I lost. And he partnered with me on that. And I was complaining like, everybody wants to go GP. They have like hundred grand or 150 grand. I don't want to do I have millions of dollars of people who want to come and do something. You can't have more than five people or in a joint venture. It's just, it, it attracts uh, attention from regulators. So they have to have a job. They have to have a purpose. They have to have a role. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can't have 20 people in your joint venture and everybody's putting 50 or hundred grand. It just, it's, it's illegal. <laughs> so 
so he was listening to me complain about it. He's like, well, why don't you just start an investment club? I was like, because I've never heard of that before. Like, <laughs> so I went home and I researched it and I realized like, oh, well, this is the answer to all my problems. You can put up to a hundred people in a club, pool your capital and, and go do deals together. I was like, this is amazing. And so I started building it out at, right after we lost that deal. Um, and we, we lost the deal in Texas, but we bought the 26 unit in Idaho. And after that, I started building the club and I didn't buy anything um, during that whole time until we just closed our first deal inside the club. We brought in about a million bucks between a group of about 15 wow. of us and um, partnered up with some experienced operators on a deal back in Austin. So, you know, hundred unit plus uh, right off of downtown Austin. So I'm super excited. I finally own something there. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we did like 120 units in Cleveland and I own like 1% of that deal, like almost nothing. <laughs> So I just figured in the club, I can kind of amass like 1% or, or half a percent or 0.05% of a deal. I didn't even care. I just felt like this will allow me to do more deals because I put like 50 grand of my own cash into it. And I raised like 50, hundred grand from limited partners. And then I put together this club of 15 people. And between us, we were able to bring in you know, $1.2 million. And now wow. I have a little sliver of that deal in Austin. And I thought this stuff, and people would say things like, wow, you put so much work into that. Like, thanks for hurting all the cats. And we really recognized, (laughs) wanted to recognize how much work that was. Like, you have no idea how much easier that was than doing an actual deal. Way, I would much rather herd cats and organize something like that than I would sponsor sponsor a deal. So that's really where I pivoted to this last year. Yeah, and I think it's awesome too, because I think the idea of that kind of club, most people might not be familiar with that, right? They might know something about, you know, hey, I'm just going to be a passive investor and they go invest in one deal or whatever, but yeah. nothing about a club. So, so really, just so we can clarify for the listeners, because you and I talked yeah. about this before, but who is this club for? You know, if our listeners are listening, hey, that sounds interesting. Who Can we just really define who your club is for? Um, I'm the kind of person who likes to think in broader categories. And so if okay. I've got, if I've got, I have six kids, you know, they're all six ankle biters. Right. And so when I'm trying to think of like how to manage all of the cats, hurting all the cats, what one thing I can do that will trickle down and affect as many things as possible. So I had a lot of problems. I had lots of people who wanted to code GP and not enough deals for them. They didn't have enough money to really be a force in in a GP. Um, Being an earnest money partner was too risky. They didn't want to be a limited partner. And then I had um, the problem of, I didn't really want to be sponsoring a large deal. And then I had a lot of people reaching out, asking to be mentored. And I, you know, I'm not going to do a paid mentorship. It's just, I'm not interested. So I was trying to come up with some kind of group mentorship plan or something. And then the club not only solved the problem with, with um, people wanting to co-GP with smaller amounts of money, it also solved all those other problems. I like, oh, now I have a group mentorship and now I have all these. So, so it really appeals to a wide variety of people. And the club is very flexible and people can turn it into what they want. So for example, we've got beginners who are just wanting to co-GP on their first deal. They may have done 20 or 30 grand in some guru class. And three years later, they still haven't done a deal because it's like going from zero to a hundred in one, in one step in one deal. Um, they got to raise a million dollars. They're going to get hundred units. Like it's hard. And most people who sign up for these educational courses and multifamily will never do a commercial deal ever. It's hard, especially not in the hundred plus unit. Um, and, and so it serves them. They, for most of the people, the 15 people who just invested in this deal in Austin, um, for the bulk of them, it was their first time as co-GP on a commercial deal. And they only had to put in like 50 grand and go, you know, raise 50 grand or something like that. Uh, much lower barrier to entry. Um, for people who are more experienced like me, we've got, uh, we just want to take a step back. We just, I don't want to sponsor deals with a five-year timeline. I'm trying to retire. And that doesn't sound like something that retired 
people would do. Um, it's you, it's the burnout is, is fast. Um, it's a lot of work and I would rather let younger people or people who have longer careers ahead of them or people who have more ADHD than I do run those things. And so for me, and we have some fund managers in there, they're looking for deal flow to be able to place because they're doing a blind pool and they're like, I need deals with this money. And so we're bringing in a lot of deal flow, not because we're doing it, it's because we know operators and they're bringing us good deal flow. So most of the deals that come into our club are actually pretty good. Like we don't get a lot of crap. Um, we get deals that we like better than others and some that we invest in and we're like, oh, we're going to pass on this one. But do we get absolute crap that makes zero sense? Really, we don't. So lots of good deal flow for the fund managers. Uh, a little bit more of an easier laid back for the experienced people trying to be semi-retired like I am. Uh, Co-GP opportunity for, for new people who are trying to get a deal. And then we've got another um, sector of people who just want the education because every week, it's a free club. We meet every Thursday night, 630 Mountain. And we just put a deal on the cutting room floor and we just crack it open. We're like, do we like it? Do we not? And if it's a crap deal, then we'll pass. But if it's a deal where I actually kind of like this, uh, we have a Slack channel that will continue to investigate the deal. And maybe the next week we'll dive into it again and, and really get down to the nitty gritty and vet it out. Um, and so there's a ton of education there for how to vet a deal, how to vet a market, how to vet a partnership. Even if you just want to be a limited partner, it increases your deal flow and your access to deals. Um, because we're not, even if it's a 506B, we're not advertising them. It's going through word of mouth. It, it really increases deal flow for limited partners. So the club can really be whatever anyone wants to be. And I think where it's moving, it's basically a capital raising business where we all pool our capital raising efforts, either our cash or our time to raise money from others. Um, we could make an offer on a deal. And so people, a couple of people have brought deals in where they're like, I like this. Do we want to offer on it? We have the experience and the depth that we need in order to go do our own deal. Um, we could start a fund, a blind pool, or a master and sub fund structure on the SPVs. Um, there's no reason we couldn't do that. And club members who want to get fund management experience would be able to jump in on some of these smaller funds. We have lots of possibilities and it can really be um, molded to fit your individual goals. And I will say the, the thing that I'm most proud of on this because for a while I didn't even know it was legal. We had a lot of SEC uh, attorneys being like, I don't know what you're doing here. And so they do some research and we finally got all our compliance checks and everything. The, what I'm most proud of is at the end of all of that, all of the ideas, all of the different purposes and different things um, at the end of it, we did a deal. I mean, we closed nice. that deal on Friday, the last Friday in January. And the next Saturday morning I woke up and I was like, honey, honey, we did a deal. And he says, I know. I said, we closed a deal yesterday. He says, I know. I said, a club deal. He's like, good job, honey. I said, what other meetup have you ever heard of that did a deal, an actual deal? So they just put speakers in there every month and we just keep learning, learning and never do anything. We did a deal. And I was like tired, drunk, like brand new. First day in the morning. And all day I was like, we did a deal and we got awesome. our attorney, all our legal documents and our SEC compliance check and everything that had to happen and it culminated and we closed the deal. I got so excited. And this, this works, it's legal and it's effective and people are learning and networking and getting things done and reaching their goals. And so I'm an excuse remover and an action taker. And I think that if you, if you need excuses removed and you need action taken, um, it's a good, it's a good fit for you. 
Emma, I absolutely love hearing that. And I, I got to be honest with you, uh, we talked about this before the show, but I, I'm super interested in this club, right? Because I think there's a lot of power there. And I think, you know, even me as just a passive investor, like I, I love connecting with other people who are putting on deals because I, like you said, I want to see good deals. I'm a passive investor. I got to put my, I got to put my hard earned capital somewhere, somewhere that I believe in, right? And so I think this is going to be a huge tool for, you know, listeners of the show, whether you're passive or active, or maybe you're looking to get into capital raising. Uh, this tool, this club, uh, really something you should look into. So before we get out of here, uh, Tell the listeners more about your company and where they can go, you know, sign up for this club and learn more about it. Um, my website is www.highrise.group. So H-I-G-H-R-A-S-E.G-R-O-U-P. And I have uh, different pages on there if you want to be a passive investor, how you get on the notification list and do an intake call so we can get to know each other. Um, SEC has some rules about that. And then I've got another uh, link on there for active investors who would prefer to join the club and, and do co-GP stuff. Or even if you're a passive investor and you just want more access to deals, they don't sure. have to be my deals, right? Um, in fact, I'm not even doing deals anymore. So I will notify all my passive investors when we're doing a club deal. Um, and you can come to the club meeting or just wait till I do the email notification. So that website is there. You can schedule a call with me. I have my calendar link on there. I've got all my social links on there. Um, phone number, text me, whatever. I, I try and make it really easy for you to connect with me in the way that's most convenient for you. Um, and so I, I really focus on my social media is on Facebook and LinkedIn and it's Emma Powell 28 on both of those. And then I do a more fun kind of personal Instagram, like it's called the passive income adventures where we're just documenting our journey as a family going from W2 kind of people to being, living hundred percent on, on passive income. And so we just do fun stuff. We go on trips. I talk about some real estate, sometimes just cute pictures of my kids, whatever. So that's on Instagram at passive income adventures. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to make sure to put all the stuff in the show notes. I highly encourage all of our listeners go to Emma's website, go to her social media. She's doing awesome things. I'm super interested in this club. I'm going to obviously we're going to talk more about this, but uh, highly encourage our listeners to go check it out. Emma, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. It's been fun. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, Connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.